Father, we bless you that you try and persevere with us as well. We mispronounce so much that's of you. And we thank you for your word because it's so rich, it's so full of life. And we pray that you'll speak to us this morning and encourage us that you are the God who comes to us and you are the God who reaches out to us. So may we respond to that reaching out now in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through uh, some of the Acts of the Apostles and uh, the next section that I could have done this morning would be in Acts 4, which is about the um, disciples. Uh, They've been radically transformed from these men and women who ran away from Jesus on the cross, basically denied they knew him, were terrified about where they're following him had ended up, that it ended up in violence and death. And they were broken. They actually were destroyed and they uh, ran away. And then Jesus resurrected, was resurrected and he appeared to them. And their lives were changed again because what they could not possibly conceive in their minds happened. This man whom they knew, who was crucified, uh, rose from the dead as a historical reality. And out of that he appeared to them and... Uh, his Holy Spirit, which was the power of God, was poured out on them and these terrified men and women became absolutely bold and pretty obnoxious in Jerusalem and really said to the, to the authorities and the religious leaders, we can do nothing but speak of what we've seen and heard. And then they also performed miracles just like Jesus did. And a cripple who was born a cripple for 40 years, he was 40 years old, was healed. And others, no doubt, were healed as well. And so their life and their actions were powerful. And they came back together and they said to God, "Bring." I mean, you read their prayers in Acts 3 and 4. He says, bring it on, do some more, Lord. Let's get in their face some more. They weren't intimidated now. They just said, you're worthy of believing. We trust you, we believe you. You are the only one who has life. And we're not going to get crushed by this religiosity that just cramps us down into doing... stuff without meaning. It's funny, you know, lots of people say, oh, I don't go to church because it's boring. Then you talk to them about personal relationships with Jesus and they run a mile because what does that mean? It means you can't mess with God on your terms. God is real, God is alive. Whether we think it's true or not. And all he's doing is constantly saying, come into my world. When are you going to smell the coffee, as it were? And that's what happened in the early parts of Acts. And the reason I think, and so what happened was out of that experience of the love of God in their lives and the grace of God, which is God's forgiveness for them even though they had screwed up, they began to reassess and uh, reappraise all their relationships. And you see in Acts chapter 4, the believers share all their possessions. They actually go out and anybody who's in need, they, they give, they help, they support, they sell property if necessary. And they make sacrifices for one another. But instead of speaking on that, I want to really go back to the Old Testament and and one phrase I want to focus on, which I think is underneath. Because you you won't give away what you have. You won't hold lightly your possessions and money. 
if your heart isn't changed. And what changed their hearts was God. God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, just like with that woman who was caught in adultery. She would never be the same again. You can't meet with Jesus like that and stay the same. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, love one another as I have loved you. And I would venture to say for most of us that as I have loved you is the part that God is continually wanting to work at. And said, you know how much I have loved you. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to go back in time a thousand years before Jesus to when David was king. And talk about this guy Mephibosheth. It's one of my favorite stories. David was, but a bit of background, David was a shepherd boy. He was the one who killed Goliath he, with a slingshot and then went and cut off his head. He was anointed a king of, by Samuel. He was anointed king of Israel. Uh, Samuel had come to, to select somebody and all the obvious choices were discounted and God said, it's the guy who's actually watching sheep up in the hills, the youngest kid in the family. And David was called for and he came down and Samuel anointed him as king of Israel when he was a teenager. And 14 years later he became king. And between that anointing and between the time he was anointed and the time he was actually enthroned as king, he went all over the Middle East being chased by Saul, the king at the time, who was, he was increasingly mad and jealous. And David must have, half his psalms come out of that. He must have said, God, where on earth are you? I have this promise that I'm going to be king, but all I am is a refugee in my own land for days and years and years and years. And one of his best friends is Jonathan. Jonathan was, the Saul, was Saul's son, King Saul's son. So Saul was going crazy and trying to kill David, and Jonathan and David were best friends. They were very, very close friends. And eventually David had to flee for his life. And he met with Jonathan and together they, they grieved over their parting but they also made a covenant together. And the covenant, uh, when David was saying to, to uh, Jonathan, I think your father's going to kill me. He's out to get me. And Jonathan said no and then David said yes he is. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 12, Then Jonathan said to David, By the Lord the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father to this time, by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if, it, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. And then they went on their way. And about 14 years later, Jonathan and Saul are killed in battle and David grieves and he's crowned king of Judah and Israel. And then a few years later after that, David is, uh, 
in his palace in Jerusalem. And he asks an interesting question. It's in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 9. And he, he basically is, is saying um, to them, do you know of anybody who, is in the, who, who belongs to the house of Saul? Is there anybody in the family of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Is what he says. And there's a, there's a, um, a servant of Saul's who is uh, called Ziba. And if you read between the lines, when you, we haven't got time to do this whole study. Ziba is obviously very comfortably ensconced in Saul's territory and with his property. And he rather reluctantly says, there is somebody. There's somebody called Mephibosheth. He's Jonathan's son, and he lives in a place called Lodiba, which is 50 miles from Jerusalem. Mephibosheth was five years old when his father was killed. And because he was the heir to the throne... The nurse panicked and thought that he might be killed by David who was out to get revenge of all Saul's family. She snatched him up to take him away and dropped him and he was crippled in both feet for the rest of his life. And they ran off from Jerusalem into exile and they stayed in this place called Lodiba. It means barren or nothing. Imagine the words spoken to Mephibosheth as he grew up. If it wasn't for David, you wouldn't be crippled. If it wasn't for David, we wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for David, your your father probably would be alive. If it wasn't for David, fill in the blank. David called himself your father's friend. Look what happened. So many years later, he's probably in his late teens or early twenties, is when David says, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake, remembering the covenant he had made with his friend? And they go and fetch Mephibosheth. Imagine how Mephibosheth must have welcomed that news. Jonathan wants, I mean, David wants to see you. King David. Oh, I've been found at last. I'm going to be killed. And Mephibosheth was taken to Jerusalem. And Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet. So he was carried to Jerusalem. And he was carried into the presence of the king. This 2 Samuel 9 with probably lots of mixed emotions. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor and maybe wondered what on earth was going to happen now. And I wonder what David thought as he saw the son of Jonathan. I imagine it and I imagine Mephibosheth being carried in and David seeing Jonathan. His eyes, his hair, something about him when he sees his friend. 
And the first words that Mephibosheth hears from the king of Israel is his name, Mephibosheth. And he says, don't be afraid. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And you will always eat at my table. He was expecting revenge, maybe, anger, retribution. David had been well and truly hounded by Saul for years and years and years. Don't be afraid. I'm going to give you back all that belonged to your grandfather and your father. And you can eat at my banqueting table for the rest of your life. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth was broken. His life was wrecked. He lived in a place of barrenness, 50 miles from where he should have been. And he was absolutely without hope or identity. All he said about himself was, I'm a dead dog. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servants, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth came into Jerusalem, into the throne room of the king, and said, I'm a dead dog. And the king said, You are a prince. And he referred to him as the grandson of the king, the first king of Israel. Later, Ziba, the servant, when David went out to battle, I tried to betray David, I tried to betray Mephibosheth and uh, lied about, to David about Mephibosheth, saying Mephibosheth wanted to inherit the whole king and I hoped David was dead or something like that. And, and David uh, gave Ziba the whole territory and then came back and found from Mephibosheth, who had been, hadn't uh, sort of looked after himself since David had gone because he had been grieving and watching out for him. When David saw how Mephibosheth had actually had cared for him he said well I will separate you both share the property and, and Mephibosheth merely said to him he said give Zebra it all as long as you're safe you see he received grace and he gave it away now why are we talking about all of this what does it do with Acts in the Bible King David is like a forerunner of Jesus the covenant between David and Jonathan is like the covenant between the father and the son. It's passed down through generations. David said, can I show an act of kindness to someone because of the covenant and my love for Jonathan? 
God the Father says, can I show an act of kindness to someone who is part of the family of my son Jesus? Which is the human race. Again we say, our humanity belongs to God. The only issue is whether we recognize it. It's not negotiable. It's a bit like gravity. You can argue and whine about it all you like, but you're subject to it. God's love is like that. It's absolute, it's given. And what we do with it is the million dollar question. And that's why for many of us, God is, I think, saying to us, I want to learn, you to learn how to live in my world. Rather than pull me into your world, which is miserable. If you try and pull God into your world, you'll shrink him and distort him and pervert him into something that's pretty ugly. So you start saying, Lord, let me come into your world. Let me see life and myself, how you see me and how you see reality. We are all Mephibosheths. We have fallen. We've been dropped. It might not be our fault, but it's too bad. We're crippled in our feet. There's no one here who can be acceptable to God. And we're either living in Lodiba this morning or we're living in Jerusalem. Lodiba is where we're hiding from God. Lodiba is where we're licking our wounds, we're victims. We're crippled and we've got nothing to do other than go, what's this all about? The good news is that God so loved the world and so loved you that he sent his son to Lodiba. He he sends his son, he sends himself to where we are. And he says, um, you've got an invitation to come to the palace. So brothers and sisters, if we're not in the palace, guess whose fault it is? It's not because we're not invited. David said, is there anyone still alive of Saul's family? And God the Father says, is there anyone still alive of Jesus' family to whom I can show kindness? And he sends out his servants and takes the initiative to invite people back to him. Because of the covenant that was made between the Father and the Son on the cross of Calvary outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, you and I are invited, not because we are worthy, but because they made a covenant, not because we are anything. That is why Christianity is meant to be good news. We usually look very miserable. We usually look like we're all camping in low deba with invitations that we bring out and talk about, but we never actually make the trip. We're a miserable bunch of people often. And God is saying, how on earth can other people know that I am alive and that you are actually a guest of the king if you look so miserable? And you look miserable because we don't know how we have been loved. We don't know how much we have been accepted. 
And so we read in 2 Samuel um, this very moving account, I think, where it says Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. He wasn't healed. But he had a new place to live. And he was cared for. And that means that God accepts us and welcomes us even while we're crippled. And says, you know, don't focus on being crippled. Focus on my banquet. Don't focus on what is not. Focus on what I have invited you into. It's called grace. You're not big enough or bad enough to be any problem for God. He's seen far worse. The only thing that gets in the way is pride. And there are two kinds of pride. There's a pride that says I'm way too bad. And there's another pride that says I have no need. I always say if you have no need, you're just like the leper who says I don't need to take my hand off the hot plate. You're so dead, you don't even know your need. Which isn't something to boast about. Because you smell of burning flesh. Or, you're caught up in saying, I'm too bad, God can't, can't do anything for me. I'm a dead dog. And this morning, if you hear nothing else, Jesus comes to you and says, you are a prince. And you are a princess. And I invite you to the table. Will you come? Will you dance with me? Will you let me redefine you and teach you some new steps? God's desire for each of us this morning is very simply, can I show you some kindness? I love to show you kindness. So I'm here for you as we share together in a baptism now, as we share together in the breaking of bread. It's an opportunity for us to quietly say, Lord, here I am. I want to be in Jerusalem. Not because I can get there, but because you can take me there. Father, we bless you for the invitation you give us. We thank you for the incredibly moving way that David brought Mephibosheth back home. And we pray, Father, for that kind of love and grace and compassion to be present among us. We pray that every day we would be saying, is there anyone to whom I can show kindness because of what God has done for me? And that you'll bring many people who are living in low Depot this morning back to Jerusalem.